0: Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hello and welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, a series of off the beaten track, unique interviews and discussions with open banking and open finance pioneers from around the globe. I'm Adam Cox, co-founder of Open Banking Expo, um, and I'm delighted that you're listening in today. All episodes of the Unplugged podcast are available on demand at openbankingexpo.com and all new episodes will be updated automatically via Spotify. This is episode two of a series of podcasts we're hosting in association with EY Canada. Today, in our next guest, we really do welcome an industry stalwart in Senator Colin Deacon. Good morning, Senator.
1: Good morning. Nice to chat with you again, Adam.
0: And he will be in conversation with Kirsten Tisdale of EY. Good morning, Kirsten.
2: Hello. Good morning,
3: Kirsten
0: Sinha EY. And also Abhishek Sinha of EY. Good morning, Abhishek. Morning, Adam. Great to be here. Thanks, everyone. And looking forward to this next session. Kirsten, if I may, I'd like to pass the reins over to you to introduce yourself, um, set the scene um, and lead the conversation for today. So over to you.
2: Thank you so much, Adam, and welcome, everybody. We're so happy to be having this conversation. I'm Kirsten Tisdale. I'm the managing partner for EY's government and public sector practice here in Canada. Um, and we work with governments at all levels, federal government, provincial government, as well as obviously the financial services sector and the fintech sector. And so this has been a topic that we've been you know intensely involved with and and very interested in and we're thrilled to be able to share some perspectives and 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 have a really good chat about it so i'm um joined by senator deacon and abhishek and so senator perhaps just a quick introduction of yourself before we get started please
1: thanks kirsten um i'm a former startup entrepreneur who joined the senate uh i, I was invited and appointed to join the senate uh <laughs> about two and a half years ago, so I'm still fairly early in the job as it goes in in, uh, in Senate years. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm really focused on uh, issues related to Canada's uh, digital transformation uh, as we work to adjust to the realities of this new industrial revolution that's going on right now.
2: Thank you very, very much, and we're gonna we're gonna really sort of mine some of your thoughts in this in just a moment. Um, Abhishek, could you introduce yourself, please?
3: Absolutely, thank you, Kirsten, and thank you, First Senator, for joining us today. Um, I'm Abhishek, and I'm a partner at EY, uh, based out of Toronto, and I lead our banking technology practice uh, for Canada. And as a part of that banking technology practice, uh, one of the things that we do is focus on uh, new and emerging trends and open banking or consumer-directed finance, as it's known in Canada, is one of the seismic shifts, which we think is going to shape the future of the banking industry in Canada going forward. And so this is a topic really close to my heart.
2: (sighs) Thank you. All right. Well, let's just jump in, shall we? So, Senator, you've been very vocal on this topic, and you mentioned that you're you're interested in things related to digital transformation. But but why this? Why now? Why why are you um, why are you getting as involved as you are um, on the topic of open banking? I, We'd love to just kick off with that, please.
1: Thanks, Kirsten. Uh, A number of things. First off, uh, we've got three aspects to our role in the Senate. First first is to legislate, so where we review legislation that the government sends to us or or initiate legislation uh, out of the Senate uh that uh, is is you know in ways to to improve legislation and improve how canada is functioning uh second is to investigate in topic topics very important to the future of the country and and come out with reports that are hopefully providing some uh direction uh, to the government as to how to keep up or address uh, with with the trend or or, or uh, uh, something that's going on in the global economy or or the canadian economy or with an issue within the economy and uh, third is to uh, represent. Uh, and for me, I, I feel that uh, I, as a Senator from Nova Scotia, obviously I'm very focused on issues important in Nova Scotia. Uh, our startup technology community has been essential in, in providing our economy with some resiliency with some of the you know recent shocks that have happened uh, in other sectors. And uh, it's, I believe there needs to be a voice of entrepreneurs more clearly heard in Parliament Hill. Uh, startup entrepreneurs are the prow of the ship of our economy. They're they're where our economy is going, and uh, so the well, the I issue. A
2: that... Nova Scotian, the prow. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
1: <laughs> that's right, that's right. So that's that's the uh, you know that's why it's really important to me it in general, uh, but specifically when I joined the the Senate, I was invited to join the Senate's uh, Banking, Trade, and Commerce uh, Committee when I first was appointed. And one of the first uh, studies I was involved in was uh, systemic risks in the banking sector, 10 years after the financial crisis. And an issue that was not being discussed was the threat to our banking system from digital financial technology companies and how uh, big tech and how little tech are, we're disrupting area product lines that are very, very profitable to our banks. And what are we doing to enable our banks to adjust to that threat? And so what was great at coming out of that was that my colleagues, uh, decided it was important to study the topic and took on the, the study the topic of open banking. And, uh, from there asked me if I would, uh, help to, uh, manage, uh, the communication requests around the report. And it's been a very, very, um, well-received report.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and there's been a lot of requests, and I have gladly jumped into the discussion because I feel there's an important uh public element that needs to be represented
2: well, thank you for that it's It's a complex quickly evolving ecosystem right and there's opportunity for everyone, but there's threats as well so we'll we'll dig into that in just in just a moment um Abishek um also interested in your view here. Um, why is this important to you um, at this time?
3: Yeah, I mean, Kirsten, I think it goes back to the purpose we have uh, as a firm, as partners in the firm, which is to build a better working world. And I think through through all the work that we do, we, our aspiration is to make meaningful contributions to economies everywhere, and, and, you know, Canada being home, I think what we want to do is, is make sure that um, the types of things, the types of issues that we put our energy towards are issues that are important for Canada and are important for Canadians. And I think that, you know, Senator makes, makes a great point around entrepreneurs. And I think, you know, what's fundamentally happening is a shift in business models to be more efficient going forward. And I think open banking is one of those things that would really unlock the efficiency in the banking business model. It's got this um, potential to really transform the fundamental relationship between a service provider and the consumer um, and shifts the balance of power more towards the Canadian consumers, giving them um, sort of more choices, more freedom, and the ease to do uh, business differently with uh, whichever service provider they may have, and and so that's where you know we come at it from, making sure that this kind of transition happens in a way that does not destabilize mm-hmm. uh, the setup of the Canadian financial services system, which. Um, you know, by far is one of the most stable and resilient systems across the world.
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's excellent. Um, One of the, one of the um, pillars, I guess, uh, when we're thinking about open banking is digital identity, which is a very topical issue right across the country right now, globally, of course. and there's various perspectives on that and various provinces. And I know the federal government is trying to tackle this as well. What do you see as the uh, kind of critical relationship, Senator, between digital identity and open banking?
1: Well, I think in general, and I, I just want to pick up where, where Abhishek left off, is that, uh, you know, we're in a disruptor be disrupted world. That's, that is the reality. So we can choose which one we want to be. And I'm definitely on the side of, let's make sure we're the disruptors uh, in, in these major sectors, and especially where we have a strength and we have a globally recognized strength in, in, in banking without question as, as a stable, trusted uh, provider. Uh, but as we move into the digital area era, era uh, things have to change. Uh, there's, there's no question. And there is hard and soft infrastructure the soft infrastructure is the are the standards, the regulations, the, the legislation that empower innovation within the economy, and digital identity is one of those pieces of the soft infrastructure that need to be in place. It's a, a new privacy legislation or updated uh, privacy legislation to allow, allow for data portability is another piece. Um, it, what is really important, I think, is that as we look at digital identity, is we need to fast track in Canada the implementation of digital identity without a question, but we are already doing a lot without it uh, formally across the economy and we can do a lot more. So it's not a rate limiting step. Okay. It's a rate accelerating step. Okay. And I think when we, what I really get concerned about is when I, and, and this is the, the entrepreneur in me, uh, you know, let's hack our way around this safely. Mm-hmm. But right now, if we, if we use it as a rate limiting step, Right. Then we will not keep up with the world because yeah. the world is still struggling with the implementation of digital identity for the most part. Yeah. So yeah. that's the, one
2: of those enterprise um, uh, system level changes that you know, we wait for the perfect solution. Um, it can, it can, as you say, be rate limiting and you balance that with trust and security. So we're going to talk about both of those topics in, um, in just a second. But another um, critical uh, piece of legislation is around consumer protection, Abhishek. So the Consumer Privacy Protection Act um, has recently been introduced. Can you help us understand and unpack a little bit what that's going to mean for open banking, please.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, just the linkage to the open banking is is quite clear. Um, the the CPPA, the Consumer Privacy Protection Act, it really has nine tenets to it across three different themes. Um, the theme one is really around the individual's rights. And, you know, in the open banking um, Space we talk about data portability. I think the CPPA gives the legal framework and the regulatory framework for the data portability is the first thing. The second important thing on the on on this first pillar of individual rights is meaningful consent, right? Which is the consent will be required in in plain simple language, which consumers can actually understand. Um, not implied consent because you clicked on this terms and conditions. And so, you know, you give a blanket approval for this organization to do whatever they want with your data, but explicit consent on why the data is being collected for what purpose it's going to be used. The third actually really interesting part of the individual rights is where organizations are using um advanced techniques like, automated decisioning based on AI, ML, machine learning, or whatever it might be, individuals have a right to understand that. So it sort of makes some of those that decision-making more transparent uh, to, to the individual consumer. The, the second pillar of uh, the act relates to organizational responsibility. And within the organizational responsibility, there's an onus to have an explicit Privacy management program in place, um, where you're sharing data with third parties, there is a clarity which says that the same protection needs to be provided as provided by the original party. So, in an event where an organization transfers personal information to another service provider, they must ensure that the that the service provider is providing substantially similar protection of personal information another sort of pillar which is going to be important from an open banking perspective is a certification program for accredited third parties just who's playing in the ecosystem are these trusted players and you know should we be working with them and I think this gives more confidence to the Canadian consumer to know who they're dealing with and it's not just another fly-by-night operator who's opened up shop with you know malicious intent as, as, it, as the case may be. And and finally, you know, there's, there's some um, information uh, or some requirements in there around sharing of information in a de-identified format. So where, uh, you know, the data markets operate in terms of selling that data and what are you selling with that data and do you actually uh, have any personally identifiable information as a part of that package and what's needed. The the third pillar of the Protection Act is actually also quite important, and that's to do with enforcement. I think the bodies that we have in place today do not have a lot of enforcement power when you compare them to the enforcement power GDPR provides to, to those uh, regulatory bodies. And so there's increased penalties for non compliance, and even more increased penalties for willful non-compliance. And so it gives a lot of teeth to our privacy commissioner and, uh, and, and those kinds of organizations. And, and also finally, where you have a scenario where um, information gets leaked or information actually gets uh, distributed to unintended uh, recipients, individuals have a recourse. Uh, a, a private right of action against uh, the defaulting party so when you step back and, and look at this there are so many tenants in the cppa which are really important as the foundational pieces to enable an open banking regime to be established and for consumers to actually trust that the system works
2: yeah yeah that is that that is very very wide sweeping right um and and hopefully you know um it's going to as we talked about before put more trust in the system and more accountability because there's so many different players now and more and more every day so we're gonna we're gonna explore a couple of the of the of the themes coming out of that but before we do just very briefly Abhishek Um, Just to sort of frame up this next um, segment here, EY recently did a did a survey, a very comprehensive survey around consumer directed finance or open banking. Can you just give us a very brief snapshot of what that was? And then we'll delve into some of the themes that came out of that, please.
3: Absolutely, Kristen. So what we found is that in this consumer directed finance debate, in the open banking debate, there's a whole number of players in the ecosystem. You've got the banks, you've got the credit unions, you've got, you know, the fintechs and, you know, um, a number of uh, sort of advocacy bodies But what we didn't find was the voice of the Canadian consumer as loud and as prominent, apart from maybe Senator Deacon's voice, uh, (laughs) being out there. And so the the intent behind doing this survey uh, was to really ask Canadians three questions, right? Question number one, what data are you willing to share and with whom are you willing to share that data? The second question was, under what conditions would you be willing to share the data? And the third and most important question is, what is the value exchange? What value do you expect when you share that data? And I think the 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 findings are quite interesting and they're going to be available publicly for for people to sort of consume and and really understand and develop a position. But I hope this helps inform the debate in terms of what are average Canadians looking for um, from the consumer-directed finance movement.
2: Okay, well, thank you. So let's unpack that a little bit more so senator one of the one of the um tenets of this is is trust right so as trust as consumer trust increases, people are willing to share more and more potentially sensitive data and I know inside my own household this seems to be a general generational issue. My kids will share everything freely, trusting that you know the universe is gonna protect them, whereas I think some of us that have been around longer are probably more hesitant um, around that. So the you know the implications of of consumers um, sharing their sharing their data and understanding implications around that, how how do we tackle that, right? Is this a problem that that needs to be addressed? What are your thoughts on that?
1: So one of the challenges, I think, when you're seeing um, a major shift in the value that can be delivered uh, an iphone is a great example it's a, it's just a, a re, when it was introduced it was a, it was a huge shift in the value that people could expect from a quote unquote phone i don't think we use them as phones anymore no. <laughs> they're everything else they're flashlights they're cameras and they do your banking and everything. So, when you're the challenge with measuring consumer opinion when you're at the beginning of one of these seismic shifts is really hard, yeah. because it's it, it, it's it, it's 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 the the consumer doesn't really know
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, what they what they have. And as and as you said, there's this um, you know you can get anywhere from from a teenager who. Uh, their view is if you're if you, i just used it I'll, I'll go to the other side you, you use the example of of somebody who's really concerned about even their thoughts being stolen and wearing a tinfoil hat to protect <laughs> themselves right i mean it's just there's <laughs> well, that I end of the, the extreme
2: watching yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the other end of the extreme are the teenagers in your house and other homes mm-hmm. that have saran wrap to protect their their privacy i mean it's there's just it's total transparency everything's out there they don't they don't care so we've got to find that balance somewhere in between, but how are those data used today? We don't know what major global organizations know about us yeah. and how they're using those data to benefit themselves, not us. Yeah. Right. We don't know that right now. We have yeah, some we have insight
2: government, right, in, in, in moderating that or in. And, and
1: so we, we haven't been keeping up in Canada. Um, this The CPPA provides us an opportunity to start to keep up. But I don't think Canadians yet have an idea of what data portability will bring to them in particular. Uh, I don't think they realize the amount of value that can be unlocked when they are in control of who is using what data, for what purpose, for what period of time. And, and the value they can then extract from their investment of data It's like an investment of cash, right? It has value, but they have to date been investing and not necessarily understanding the uh, the relative ROI between the benefit they're getting and the benefit others are getting from that investment. Right. And that transparency came to the investment industry in the 80s, right? It's coming now to the investment of data Mm -hmm. in the 2020s. And I'm really excited about where that can take us, but I think it's very hard to measure public opinion except for on one issue, which is the issue of trust. This is foundational to our being able to extract value in a way that can benefit consumers and our economy more broadly. And so if we do not manage the issue of trust, uh, then the whole system falls apart. Right. And you know, it, I I really enjoy chatting with uh, venture capital investors who are in this space as much as anybody. Because you the the thought would be they'd want to exploit, right? That's that's the public would have that opinion. They are more concerned about this fact than just about anybody. Because if this issue is not managed properly, if the public's trust is not maintained and managed carefully, the value that they're investing in evaporates.
2: Right. Overnight, yeah. Overnight. Ab- absolutely. And it, and it would only take a couple of, of sort of bad stories um, to yeah. erode.
1: So for me, this is a, a perfect place where social and economic benefit are completely aligned. Yeah. And that's what gets me so excited about this particular issue because we can advance our society and our economy and our digital sovereignty, yeah. self-sovereignty, our national sovereignty as well as our economy at the same time.
2: Yeah that's that's tremendous. Thank you for that. Um, Abhishek, would, is there anything that you would like to add um, on, on top of that before we move to the next topic, which will be security, but around the kinds of information that you think people will be willing to share?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, you know, Senator Deacon made an important point is, um, you know, it's hard to measure opinion of things that people not fully aware of or they don't know the value of. And I think um, that it's absolutely true. Um, trust takes a long time to build and it's gonna happen in incremental steps, not gonna happen overnight. And so understanding where people's minds are at and what issues are important to them become foundational in how we design that roadmap to build trust over a period of time. And I think that's really the intent of behind what we're trying to do here. Um, We found that the majority of consumers are comfortable sharing preferential data, what products they may be interested in, financial, non-financial. And this trend was quite uniform across all the demographic age groups. The second category of data consumers are most willing to share include work-related information, where they work, which industries, under what conditions. And we think that this is more pronounced with individuals which also have small businesses because that's where they can actually derive more value from from a business perspective. The third category actually really surprised us. Um, The survey indicated that consumers are quite open to sharing health data. And with the explosion of wearables and health apps and, you know, related offerings, you know, especially from an insurance perspective, It appears that over time, consumers have actually become more comfortable with sharing this kind of information because they see this clear value exchange. here. It's quite apparent in this case. Mm -hmm. The sharing of financial data and account balance related information actually featured quite low in the consumer's willingness to share. This might change in the future if and when consumers see a safe, reliable ecosystem emerge And innovation in products and services there, the speed of adoption is likely to be a little bit of a slow burn there, because value propositions need to be crafted and refined and adopted, and the stories need to get out and people need to understand how they can actually benefit before you know they'd be willing to say, "Hey, I have fifty thousand dollars in my this account and forty thousand another account, and what should I do with it?" and you know figuring that piece out is it's just going to take time right but there's lots of really really innovative set of products and services which are being developed here in Canada as well as you know elsewhere if you go to Europe or South Asia and wherever
2: that's great thank you and and you know as you talked about healthcare it really resonated that there's an, an enormous move towards the empowered patient, right? People taking control and making better decisions based on data around around wellness and health. And I think this trend is moving across a number of different um, sectors. Um, I'm conscious of the time, so we're going we're gonna to keep moving here. The other theme that I just wanted to touch on quickly is security, Senator. Um, this ecosystem, as we've talked about, it's got all these different players. There's not a consistent regulatory framework, for example, for fintech, versus the big banks, versus some of these other groups that are involved. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are around what the right mechanisms, you know, government sometimes pivots to over-regulation of things that they don't understand in order to control them. And and there's probably a bit of a sweet spot here. So what are your thoughts around um, what the mechanisms would be to ensure security across such a diverse, uh, ecosystem of large and small. Technology regulatory players.
1: So I'll just go back to one thing that Abhishek just said, and I'll challenge a little bit on that. And that's that we, that this will take, that we've got time here, that, 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 uh, things will evolve over the period of time we've seen over the last, there's estimates that over the last six months, the world's digitized at a rate of six years the trajectory has just absolutely shifted yeah. upward in terms yeah. of adoption yeah. of tech. So things are moving very quickly. And and uh, I, I, I know people in my own family who started using uh, an, a, an automated banking machine for the first time, but said never going to happen in their lifetime wow. and, and started using it during this period and are very happy using it now. So, you know, things are going to move a lot faster, I believe, uh, as it relates to security. What worries me is conversations about um, the current standard being the the pinnacle of excellence um, around security, because the legacy systems in our banking in most major organizations around the world are built on very old uh, software development technology. They 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 are not up to the the uh, standards of of the global. Uh, servers, uh, the cloud-based services that the services servers that SaaS-based businesses are using, and so at this point, um, we've got a challenge of, uh, from a government standpoint, do we tell people to manage things a very specific way, or do we give them a principle-based approach and say we want you to achieve this principle, mm-hmm. and not be tech-dependent or a specific process-dependent, on how we regulate security. That, in, a, in a world where business models and technologies are, are changing so rapidly, it worries me that regulators always fall back to, well, this is the way to do it, because right. that is what, uh, what holds back uh, improvements in productivity. That is what holds back improvements in innovation, and that's what causes Canada to be a disrupted versus a disrupting economy. And so we we have got to make sure yeah. that, that our regulation adapts to this new reality around mm-hmm. security, around so many different things. Look at AML, right? Mm-hmm. We just had a massive exit in this country, uh, $3.6 billion exit of Verifin by, uh, bought by NASDAQ, a company that was built over, I think, 12 or 13, 14 years um, in St. John's, Finland, that w- has built a, a global expertise in the area of, of money laundering, any money laundering um and fraud management softwares for uh, software for banks what's really interesting is globally 1% it's estimated 1% of criminal money flows are captured through current AML activities
2: yeah,
1: yeah. so we're you know we we've got to make sure that we're not uh, our current standards for security for for anything are not set to today being the
2: pinnacle that's right because
1: it is not
2: yeah. it's far from it be so quickly um, so quickly evolving and you know that's not a core competency um unfortunately of our many parts of our regulatory sector and we have to think about how our how our regulators can become far more nimble and i'm actually going to end on this question because i think you'll have a little bit more to to add and i'll ask i'll ask both of you about this but there's um, if this isn't the space for private sector and public sector to come together and collaborate and innovate, I don't know what is, right? So you know, what would that mean from your perspective? if we could if we could see more collaboration around defining this future together so that we can we can be disruptors and not disrupted, what would that look like for you, Senator?
1: For me, the 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 biggest role government can play. As a, as a convener
2: mm-hmm.
1: versus the black box that's the decider that's creating the legislation, the regulation, the standards within a black box, and then putting it out for the public to, to then try and improve from this, this, this starting point that, that was relevant to Ottawa. I look at the open banking consultations going on in Ottawa right now, and I am so inspired by Ottawa being a convener on that process and allowing the debates to continue the Standards Council of Canada's uh, group, the the CIO Strategy Council, is a convener to establish new standards in important evolving areas where there there is not yet regulation or legislation. And that is a great external uh, from outside of government in process that um, it could enable it just holds a promise of enabling Canada to become from a legislative standpoint. Quite a competitive nation, and right now, do we ever need it? In the OECD, I think we're, you know, yeah. 33 out of 34 nations in terms of regulatory burden. Yeah. Uh, that's not a good place for us to stay. Uh, we have over the last decade uh, seen that diminish. It, it, not as it's less so in the first half of, of the last decade. It was really declining rapidly, but it's getting better. Uh, or, sorry, we're getting worse slower. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we're gonna
1: we're gonna turn that corner, and uh, and I see I see some green shoots of hope Good. in in changing the process to be one that is very open. I'll leave it there, but thank you very much
3: for thank any you that. Idea.
2: so much that that's inspiring, Abhishek. Any last thoughts that you would like to add to this?
3: No, no, I, I agree with uh, what Senator Deacon saying. I think the process that we're going through here in Canada to advance is, is a different process than what other countries have done. I think we are we're doing quite well in terms of balancing the interests of all of the different stakeholders here. And, you know, each of these stakeholders is equally important. You know, it's not a case that, you know, we're sort of tilted towards trying to move it in one direction. I think, uh, you know, the government's doing a great job in terms of making sure these voices are heard. I think what what we would come out uh, of this, and because we are starting from a very different place than where the UK would have started or where Australia would have started, they had different compulsions to go down the path that they're going down. We've got a different set of considerations. And I think um, where we're going to end up will be a much better place for Canadian businesses for Canadian entrepreneurs, startups, the fintech sector, or the financial services sector uh, overall, but most importantly, I think it's going to benefit Canadians, and I think that's what motivates all of us and you know gets us out of our beds and and makes us do the things that we do every day.
2: Well, thank you both. This is um, this has been such an interesting conversation, and it's I think it's a very hopeful one, and I hope that this model of how this new industry can evolve, um, can be a model for some other things that we do together. I mean, there's lots of very difficult areas that we're trying to tackle, whether it's you know green climate change and sustainability, there's these multifactorial complex areas where regulation can slow us down unless we figure out a way to innovate us in terms of how we collaborate together. So your perspectives have been excellent. I'm gonna wrap it up here, but I thank both of you for your time and um thanks for listening, people. Bye for now. Thank you. Thanks
0: so much.
1: Thanks Abish. Thank thanks, Kristen.
2: Thank you.
0: Perfect. Thanks all. Uh, thanks, Kirsten. Um, what an engaging, thought-provoking and diverse episode that was. Um, I'm already looking forward to episode three. Um, so that just leaves me to say thanks to our listeners for tuning in today. Um, and particularly thanks to our guests, uh, Senator Colin Deacon um, and Kirsten Tisdale and Avashek Sinha of EY. Um, wishing all our listeners a happy holiday season and be sure to look out for episode three in the new year. Goodbye for now.